You are listening to Disrupt Development, the podcast that shares inspiring stories of disruptive thinkers and doers within sustainable development. In this episode, together with Izzy, we are going to talk about inclusive entrepreneurship, the challenges young women and young people of color experience in starting a business, how Fundafine is supporting these disadvantaged communities, and what development cooperation can learn from inclusive entrepreneurship. The adrenaline that comes from working with a group of people who are like-minded and who share your way of thinking to build something that can truly change our economy, our societies. Izzy Obeng is founder and director of Foundafine, a social enterprise who specializes in startup and scale-up acceleration programs for founders from disadvantaged communities in the United Kingdom and Africa. Izzy was fed up of going to startup events and being the only person of color and only young women. Therefore, she made it her mission to correct the lack of representation of disadvantaged communities in entrepreneurship. Foundafine was featured in BBC, Times, Telegraph and TEDx. And Izzy shared her success story with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Welcome, Izzy. Happy to have you on the Disrupt Development podcast. Um, Myself, being a development professional working on innovations and entrepreneurship, I got very much inspired by the work you and your organization is doing. Um, Izzy, you have founded uh, Founderfin, a social enterprise that creates and supports entrepreneurs from disadvantaged backgrounds. Could you tell me more about why you have founded Founderfin and perhaps a little bit something about your background? Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Really happy to be here. Um, As you mentioned, I am the managing director of an organization called Foundervine. And Foundervine is a social enterprise that is targeted towards young people from underrepresented communities all over the world who have big ideas but don't know where to start. Um, And we were founded because of the lack of support we saw for young people who were considering going into business, considering starting careers in entrepreneurship, um, and just didn't have access to the networks, the knowledge and the support because of their backgrounds and communities that they needed to grow. So we see ourselves as that first step that any young person can take when they're starting a business. Um, And we sort of design a series of uh, startup building programs, accelerated programs, all targeted towards underrepresented groups. Um, We work with uh, government, we work with uh, corporate sector um, and partner with them to get professionals from these industries to uh, lend a hand towards young people and help them grow using the skills that they have as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and what are the biggest challenges uh, your target audience uh, is experiencing, these uh, disadvantaged groups you're working with? Yeah, so the, the challenges that founders face are often very varied, but ultimately uh, knowledge and access to that knowledge is one of the biggest barriers. Uh, what's happened over decades of Uh, decades of learning and our education system growing is that we haven't built into it um, an understanding of uh, what it takes to start a business. We haven't actually created education systems that put employability first. So if you are a young person and you um, are thinking about what kinds of careers to take, unless you have wealthy relatives or kind of middle-class parents who know how to navigate, Um, self-employment, how to navigate business, then 
you often find that you don't really know what you need to do um, to start up. So we really believe that the future of work is all about a new perspective on education and helping young people take a more disruptive approach to solving some of the world's biggest challenges. Um, and we do that by immersing them in real world settings where they can really understand what it takes to start to start up from scratch. Yeah, and, and, and who are the uh, people we are talking about, um, these marginalized communities? Yeah, so we focus um, quite specifically on women and founders in the UK um, from black and Asian minority ethnic backgrounds. Uh, so we focus on women because the challenges that women face in entering entrepreneurship can be vast and a lot of the challenges are often not obvious. So we see a lot of people who are seeking investment, for example, uh, finding barriers towards uh, raising investment, finding barriers towards understanding the uh, the steps you need to take in order to raise investment. So you're talking about in particular the women, the young women? Yes, to young women. Mm. Um, and we tailor our programs towards women by focusing a lot on confidence and self-esteem building, access to networks, making sure that women have the, the structure that they need in order to start up. Um, and for people from black, Asian, minority, ethnic backgrounds. A lot of our work is about finding role models in the community, who they can aspire to look like, because often we don't see enough representation of, uh, you know, BAME entrepreneurs, uh, professionals. And so it's a big part of our work, actually raising the profile of successful entrepreneurs um, and also making sure that the learning really responds to their needs as well. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive into the work you are doing with, uh, with these groups. Could you perhaps explain me in more detail how you're actually trying to empower these disadvantaged groups into becoming successful entrepreneurs? How does it work in practice? Yeah, absolutely. So we run entrepreneurship programs uh, designed to help uh, these young people build startups from scratch. So we have a program called Startup 54, for example, it's a high impact entrepreneurship lab. Um, and it's so called because it's got a simple model, 60 participants and 54 hours to build a startup from scratch. Um, and the Startup 54 program launched in May 2018 and it's helped over 300 people start about 56 new ventures. Um, and we've been invited um, to speak to the prime minister's office about how we can use the model to build more startups across the country. Um, and it's been one of our most successful uh, programs. Uh, we also run accelerator programs. So eight to 12 week programs designed to take people who already have businesses um, and help them take their businesses to the next level. Yeah, um, yeah. so let's, I'm, I'm very curious, uh, before we're going to talk about this particular scale-up program, the, the first program you were talking about, the Startup 55, right? Startup 54. 54, yes, 54. Yes. Um, so it starts with an idea or where do you start and what is then the objective you're trying to reach within these days? Yeah, so it starts with an idea, but crucially, you don't need to have an idea in order to join. You just have mm. to have that passion for starting out. Uh, how it works is that you come in on a Friday evening, you meet uh, your fellow participants for the first time. Um, and then we go through a process of rapid ideation, rapid team formation, 
So by the end of the first evening, you have a newly formed team and you have a business model that you're working towards. Um, and then throughout Saturday, you work on building that business model. You work on building a pitch deck. We bring expert mentors in to support you through that. It's very intensive. Um, and then by Sunday, you have the tools and the knowledge you need to pitch your new business with your new co-founders and actual investors and experts from across industry. Okay, sounds very interesting and also very tough. I mean, uh, there is a lot of work to be done within these uh, times, I think. Um, quite challenging. How are the participants experiencing these, uh, this program? Yeah, so our participants absolutely love the program. It is tiring, like you said, and we find that people end up, the adrenaline that comes from working with a group of people who are like-minded and who share your way of thinking to build something that can truly change our economy, our society in some way, it's exhilarating. So even though everyone's kind of tired by day three, we find that people are really, really engaged and they're really excited about the opportunity to become an entrepreneur, something that many of them uh, on the Friday evening didn't think they could achieve in only two and a half days. Yeah, yeah, very impressive. And the other program you were talking about was more focused on scale-up, if I'm correct, right? So supporting existing businesses to grow. Um, how does that program look like in practice? The scale-up program, it's uh, designed for businesses run by, again, predominantly women and people from minority backgrounds um, who are, are in their early stages. So they may be uh, pre-revenue or early revenue and they've kind of taken the steps to launch their business. And now they're looking for really targeted growth support in terms of building their business model, understanding financial modeling, um, advice on how to pitch and how to tell their story. And we take them over a number of weeks through the process of what they can do to take their um, early stage business into something which, potential, which has the potential to scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, Looking at the programs, they're quite successful, like you mentioned, right? So what I'm very curious about is the why. Why are these programs so successful? There are various accelerators. There are various uh, entrepreneurship programs, supporting programs. But why do you think these two programs are so special um, and, and being so successful? Yeah, so you're right. When it comes to uh, startup acceleration programs, there are lots of interesting programs out there to support founders at different stages. Um, and what we found is that a lot of the people that come on our programs say to us, I never, I've never thought I'd go to something like this. I've never, I never thought I'd go to a program like this and see people who looked like me, who had the same lived experiences and meet professionals who could help me that came from my backgrounds as well and so there's a big piece about community and building a sense of uh, a sense of a, a network and a community within the communities that we're supporting um, but more than that I think it's the opportunity to provide really contextualized learning experiences to people and what I what I mean when I say that is that for a lot of these accelerator programs they work on models that are tailored towards uh, how would I say it? Um, I'd say that they don't often understand um, the specific challenges that women face when they're starting up. They don't understand the specific challenges that minority founders face when they're starting up. So there are elements of our program that really, really tailor towards these challenges and actually 
um, develop these people in a different way. So people leave our programs genuinely feeling like they have the knowledge that they need to start up, the network that they need to start up, and they've got people who are genuinely interested in helping them grow. Mm-hmm. So it's it's basically also a two-way direction. It's um, important from your organizational perspective to have a quality program. On the other hand, it's also very important for these entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in space to bring in their own skills. Um, looking from your own experience uh, at these entrepreneurs, what do you think are very important characteristics or skills people need to bring in in, in, in becoming successful entrepreneurs? Yeah, so the one of the biggest um, competencies or behaviors that I think entrepreneurs need to have is resilience uh, because building a business is one of the hardest, hardest things you will ever do. And it can be grueling. It can be very, very tough at times. And that sense of resilience, being able to bounce back and really just uh, take feedback in a constructive way and use that feedback to constantly grow and build is one of the biggest tools that um, a successful entrepreneur will have. Um, I think the second thing I would say is that the ability to influence people, be, being able to articulate your story in a way that really resonates with people is so important. Because when you're first starting out, you are your business. People are buying into an idea that you've created. They're buying into your solution for the problem that you've identified. And if you're not able to articulate your vision and articulate your story in a way that really engages people, then it can be very difficult to kind of build the, uh, build the network and build the brand equity that you need to take the business further. And looking at some of the success stories you have encountered from, let's say, a young woman from an ethnic minority has been supported through Foundafine and now runs a successful business. Could you perhaps share one? Um, one of those is the story of Hannah Blair. And Hannah um, is, uh, at the time, in 2018, she was a recent graduate who studied computing. And she had done her dissertation in the ways that VR could be used to support people with dementia. Uh, She came on our program with little understanding of how to start a business, um, but she formed a team. And over the course of the weekend, she worked on the business model. She got feedback from our mentors. And by Sunday, she pitched um, at EY Foundation. And... Um, In the last two years, we've seen the business VRCalm go from strength to strength. Um, They've had funding from Sky to uh, build out their products. Um, They're currently in a number of care homes in the UK working with older people. And Hannah's co-founder, Samar, who she met on the program, uh, is still with her today working on the business. So that's one story that, you know, for us really exemplifies why we do what we do. Well, that's an incredible story and hopefully more young women can follow her in her footsteps. Uh, thank you for sharing this um, incredible and inspiring story. Um, yeah. Making the link to a broader topic, development uh, cooperation, development aid, and very important but also challenging domain within development aid is economic empowerment, how we call it, of young people, or yeah. financial inclusion, right? Providing them with the necessary skills, the tools, and the networks to earn their own income and start preferably self-sustaining businesses. Um, would you also argue that we need to put more emphasis on entrepreneurship within development aid? Absolutely. So it's a huge part of our 
philosophy that uh, building financial inclusion within societies, building the ability to create wealth is one of the most important things you can do for any group that you're trying to support. And entrepreneurship, self-employment is one of the most straightforward ways to build financial inclusion into any society. And we've seen this, uh, we've seen this as a model that works for uh, not only providing entrepreneurs with the tools that they need to create businesses, but providing employment um, in the wider community through businesses that can hire people um, from their local areas. So entrepreneurship is one of the, the most important things we can do. And I think governments across the world, and COVID-19 has really brought that into focus, have not necessarily invested as much time in building out enterprise education in schools and in, 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 in schools and universities. And so more people are leaving school not knowing how to work in an increasingly digital economy, not knowing how to start their own business and competing for fewer and fewer jobs in the corporate sector. So it is a massive challenge and it's really important for us as an organization, um, as an organization that's really passionate about building an inclusive ecosystem to think about how we design community led digital approaches that are upskilling our communities and have that backed by aid organizations um, in some of the countries we work, um, mostly uh, across Africa at the moment. Yeah, so you moved to Ghana to explore yes. how you can actually support young people in local communities with this work. What have you learned so far? When did you move there and what have you learned so far? Also in relation to entrepreneurship and trying to uh, support young people with these skills. Yes, so one of the biggest learnings for me in moving to Ghana and seeing what our, our work supporting entrepreneurs could look like out here is that uh, here more so than in western countries people participate in the digital economy as consumers but not as active participants and often digital technology is out of reach for many um, and it is the lack of access to uh, internet lack of access to uh, digital products that mean that lots of people cannot participate in a way that means that they can own and control the uh, digital tools that will actually you know lead the future of our economies in the future and if you look at um, if you look at the technology sector here it's still very early there are, there's lots of interesting innovation here but it simply does not have the funding that it needs in order to scale so you've and got the kind of innovation so um, in terms of digital innovation so there's there's a really big agricultural mm -hmm. space for example um, there are some really interesting startups who are looking at how farmers can be more productive, how we can make better use of arable land, um, how we can improve data management when it comes to agriculture. Um, so that's, that's a big space that I would say um, exists uh, across sub-Saharan Africa. And then you've also got spaces like fintech. Um, a lot of people use uh, mobile money and alternative forms of financing um, across the continent because of lack of access to more traditional banking um, and because of the ease in which uh, mobile phone companies have um, uh, the ease in which they've made it possible to sort of send and receive money. So fintech is a big space that's continuously innovating. Agrotech is uh, the healthcare sector. There's some really interesting innovation, um, you know, using 
uh, drones to uh, fly uh, uh, blood into rural areas, for example, um, and looking into how uh, prosthetic limbs can be created at low cost using 3D printing. Those are the kinds of things we're seeing, sort of African-led solutions to African challenges, um, which is very exciting at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it sounds very exciting indeed. And how can organizations from the development sector um, start to work with you or with uh, social enterprises like uh, your organization? Yeah, so there is, so partnerships across the continent are the key to, to growth. And I think that often uh, when it comes to uh, international aid organizations, often funding can be concentrated in, um, you know, how do I say it, quite uh, access to quite basic education. So, you know, so primary education, secondary education, maths and English support, that kind of thing. Um, and less attention is, is often paid to uh, investment in uh, enterprise education and digital skills education. So there's a huge opportunity here to partner with social enterprises um, like us, partner with digital education companies, there's more and more of them on the continent, um, and actually work with us to deliver solutions that are, are, you know, very forward, but tailored to the needs of entrepreneurs who often don't have access to um, steady internet connection, often don't have access to digital devices. So that might look like running uh, virtual accelerators that can be primarily accessed on the phone and working with entrepreneurs on the ground to build that kind of infrastructure. Um, and that's the kind of work we're starting to see if we can engage with, with organizations that fund uh, projects like this. Well, that sounds very important. And hopefully now all the listeners will get a better impression of the need to invest in entrepreneurship for young people. Um, thank you very much, uh, Lizzie, and um, hope to speak with you. Perfect. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me.